uh, of that chapter. But if you're using a device, I would very much encourage you to have your device in a way and form that it won't be uh, a distraction to you. Life gives us good days and bad days. Life gives us seasons of good times and seasons of bad times. But I want to ask you the question, when you are having a bad, bad, bad day, what do you do? When you are down, when things are difficult, when things are going the wrong way, where do you go for comfort? I know that some people go straight to the fridge, but that might be a European thing. Get the dessert out, get the ice cream. Maybe for some of you it's get the frying pan out. Let's get some jollof on the go and some chicken and let's, let's eat ourselves out of this mood and let's comfort ourselves with food. Or maybe for some of the, the sporting type, the way to get your mind back on track is to go to the gym and hit the cardio and, and, and pump some weights and get some endorphins running around your body. Or apparently chocolate does the same thing. You can choose which you prefer. Or perhaps there's some music that you listen to. There's some tracks that you know that always lift you up. You avoid those ones that take you down. You want to lift yourself up. Or you, or you call a friend. You have that friend that you can just open up and share everything with. Or perhaps for some it's retail therapy. And you go out shopping. Well, for Peter, he said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. Peter and the disciples have seen Jesus twice. Both times they were in that locked room in uh, Jerusalem. They're no longer in this locked room. They're no longer there. They've, they've gone back to Galilee. And Peter is, is, is suggested, let's go fishing. Or he says, I'm going fishing, and the others go with him. And, and they've gone to the fishing boats. And they've gone back to their old lives. And I think as the night wore on, and no fish were being caught, it probably wasn't really helping them that much. You see, as our brother Scott will tell us, the whole point of going fishing is to get fish. And the whole night they were in the boat and they had no fish. And things were looking bleak. Even though Jesus had risen from the dead, even though they'd seen him, he wasn't there with them. And they were left to their own devices. And, and they went back to default. And so again, I want to just come to you and, and your situation. And when your life is not going the way you want it to, when there's an emptiness, when there is a void, when there is a challenge, when there are troubles upon troubles, when everything seems pointless, when your plan A has failed and your plan B has failed and you've got to Z and that's failed and you're thinking, well, what plans do I have next? What do you do? 
Well, the disciples went fishing. And that is not the point of this passage. Yes, don't all rush out and buy fishing equipment. That's not what's being said here. But as with so much of the Gospel of John, we've seen a beauty in in John's writing. And of course there's going to be a beauty in John's writing because the Holy Spirit has inspired him. And just here at the beginning of this chapter, we, we 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 are taught and told something. Just as day was breaking. I think we're all probably much better at seeing sunsets than sunrises, except for an exam time, and you're cramming, and you might see a few sunrises then. But the best sunrises that I've ever seen have been sunrises over the water. And I don't know if you've had the experience of doing that, and if you haven't, I would recommend it. Get yourself along to the, the, the coast of Cyprus one day and, and sleep there overnight and, and watch the sunrise. Because what happens is there's this sort of great darkness. And then slowly, slowly, the, the darkness seems to start lifting. And then just as, as the sun comes out over the sea, over the water, it's like there's an explosion of light. And, and the water becomes alive with the reflecting sun. And it's like millions of diamonds have been thrown across the water. And it's just alive with light. And I want you to see what John is doing in this writing. He, he's painting a, a picture for us. We don't want to miss it. Every part of God's word is, is so important and so telling. And, and sometimes we just read something like that. Oh, it's dawn and just leave it. But what, there's something going on here. John is is taking us with the disciples. And the disciples are coming out of the darkness of doing their own thing and coming into the light of seeing Jesus' presence with them. You see, Jesus was there. Jesus was there just as day was breaking. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Why why did the disciples not know it was Jesus? Well, perhaps it was because of the darkness that they couldn't focus on him. Perhaps it was because they just weren't expecting to see Jesus in that situation. Perhaps it was just because they were totally and utterly fed up that they couldn't even be fishermen anymore. Three years running around after Jesus and now he's gone and they go back and they can't even catch a fish. Friends, what I want us to see from this is Jesus is there even in your darkest moments. And all too often we don't see Jesus in our darkest of moments because we're either looking at our problems so much we can't look at Jesus or we're trying to fix our problems or we're trying to comfort ourselves and we're going the wrong way. And it can almost be that we are looking at Jesus and saying to him, who are you? Have you been there? In the darkness of a moment, 
Jesus just doesn't seem to be around. But the reality is it's probably because you've forgotten to look and you're too busy looking at the darkness and the problem or trying to resolve it yourselves. None of the disciples asked that question, who are you, in verse 12. You see, what happens is they are there fishing, and Jesus is on the shore, and they're in their boat, and they're not a long way away from him. And these fishermen are there, and there is no fish in the boat. They have caught nothing. And then this voice from the shore shouts out to them with the worst question that you can ask an unsuccessful fisherman. If you want to upset a fisherman by the harbour, yes, look in his bucket, and if there's nothing there, then ask him if he's caught anything. Yeah? That that is really quite grieving to a fisherman, yes? Where's your fish? And, And so there they were. They'd been out all night, and this gentleman on the shore yells across at them and says, Children, do you have any fish? To their embarrassment, no. No fish. But to make matters worse, the very guy who is asking this question that shows their failure then offers advice. Have you ever been there in that situation where there's, there's, there's something that you, you've done and you can do it and you can do it well and then you, you're struggling to do it that one occasion and some well-meaning person comes alongside you and offers you an abundance of advice of how to do it. And if you are of my color and my disposition, you start getting red just under here behind the ears and steam's coming up. Of course, I know how to do this. And here is this man on the shore and they said, no, we haven't got any fish. And he just says to them, look, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. I, I kind of thought, well, what on the earth motivated the disciples to do that? And I looked into my heart and I thought, this is probably what it was. Knowing my human nature, I would have said, right, throw the fish over there. Let's prove this joker wrong. Let's prove this Noah all wrong. There's no fish there. Let's let's throw it over there and it'll come up and there'll be nothing there. And, And they threw the net over. And what happens? The net is filled with fish. Because this wasn't just a nobody or an anybody. It was someone who truly knows it all. It was Jesus, the creator of everything, the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning of John, it says, doesn't it? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word. Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus was there making these fish. The fish that they were bringing were the great, 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 great grandchildren of the fish that Jesus just spoke into existence. See, Jesus was the master of the fish. Do you get this? That that night, Jesus had been on duty 
keeping the fish out of their net. Normally you throw a net in and you bring fish out. It happens. That's what happens. And that night, no. Jesus said, no, the fish won't go in there. And then at the very moment the fish were needed, it wasn't the little skanky fish. It was the big proper fish that came. And a full 153 of them came in to the net. He brought the fish to them when he was ready. And Jesus, the Son of God, the all-powerful, was teaching his children, his disciples, again who he was. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the miracle worker. And and so often in in the Gospel of John, we, we say there's seven miracles. Well, this is the miracle. It's counted out. We've got an eighth here, if you like. Because this is the power of God at work. The miracle happened. The net was full of fish. And John, the disciple who Jesus loves, the disciple that was there, was, was, was looking. And perhaps he got his voice. Perhaps he looked at the, the, the shape of, of Jesus and sort of worked out his figure in the silhouette of, of the, the dawn. But I think in reality what he saw was a miracle. And he put the numbers together and he came up and the penny dropped and this is the Lord. Verse 7, he tells Peter, this is the Lord. And the dawn is coming. And the light was overcoming the darkness in their hearts. And John recognizes Jesus and tells Peter. And impetuous Peter, what he immediately does is he wants to go to Jesus and he gets his kit together and he jumps into the the, the sea and he swims about the, the 90 meters back to shore to see Jesus. When he gets there, there is Jesus. And he's on the shore. And he's got a charcoal fire going. And he's cooking breakfast. And there's fish being cooked. I can't help but wonder if Peter sort of scratched his head and thought, well, how did Jesus get those fish without any nets? He couldn't have bought them on the way here. The markets weren't open. I I, I quite like the idea that Jesus just said, some fish please. And a few of them popped out and jumped on the fire. This is the power of Jesus, you see. He's a miracle worker. He's just filled this And he asks the disciples, he says, can you bring some fish to me? And guess what impetuous Peter does? He's not suffice with bringing some fish. He he goes there and he hauls the net in and he he brings it all in there. And it's full of large fish. And there's 153 of them. 153 fish. Large ones. And the net hasn't ripped. It's a miracle. And there's been all sorts of ideas why there is 153. Some commentators say at that time, 2,000 years ago, there was 153 known species of fish in the world. And this is a picture of Jesus being and the gospel being for everyone 
in the world. Nice thought, for sure. True thought, but I'm not really convinced of that. And apparently, if you do some very clever maths, we haven't got time to do this clever maths, but if you do very clever maths with this number 153 around geometry and a triangle, you can get to see the Trinity in the four corners of the world and the heaven. Now, don't ask me how to explain that. You can chat to Scott about fishing later. I'm picking on Scott because I know Scott's a fisherman. But you will always know how many fish you've caught, won't you? You will always know because fishermen always count the catch. And I think we've got that number recorded because it actually happened. And the fishermen proved it happened because they counted the catch. And counting the catch just underlines that if it was 120, 170, 180, it doesn't matter. It was a miracle. They had no fish, and yet they had a net full of it that didn't rip. And it was at this time, it was after this miracle, it was as Jesus was providing for them in that very dramatic way, it was as the, 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 the light of the dawn came into the darkness. It was a dawning in their own hearts of darkness of Jesus' death. And changing from Jesus' death, that the, the, the darkness was melting into a light of the truth of his resurrection. It was then that the disciples, for the third time, for the third time, time, saw the resurrected Jesus. He was there in front of them, and they were being there fishing, and they have been there fishing unsuccessfully, and yet God, through Jesus, and Jesus was there, and Jesus spoke to them, and suddenly they were successful. And I'm sure their minds were racing, and I'm sure their minds were taken back, those fishermen, to their original calling. And that's why we read Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, that very same place where they are. It's got a different name here, the Sea of Tiberias, but the Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. They were back at the same place. And, and, and Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew's brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, three years earlier, what did Jesus say to them? He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed them. And you get what is going on here, don't you? You see what's happening here. They'd, they'd, they'd been following Jesus. They'd left their nets. They'd become fishers of men, and then it had all gone wrong. And Christ had, had been publicly whipped and shamed and mocked and crucified and died. And they went back to their nets. And here's Jesus on the shore, lovingly, caringly, reminding them, you've got a job to do. You've got a purpose. Follow me. 
They were called to be fishers of men. They were called to follow Jesus. And there they are, and they've seen the risen Savior. It's that third time. And again, I'm sure they were excited. And it tells us there that they didn't ask, dared ask who he was. Because they knew he was and is the Lord. And as we look back on this event through the eyes of this passage, through this gospel, and as we see the risen Savior, we have to ask ourselves the question. You have to ask yourself the question. Are you following the risen Savior? And as you ask yourself that question, some of you may be thinking, well, I used to follow him. I used to be close. But the darkness has got in the way. And maybe it's gone further than that. Maybe you used to follow him, but you feel that you've just let him down really badly. You were alive in Christ and following him. You, you were at all the meetings. You were reading God's word every day. You were praying every day. There was a warmth about your spiritual growth. But then the darkness got in the way. The busyness of life in Cyprus. The opportunities of Cyprus. Schoolwork. Your business. And these things started drawing you away. And now when you look back and you look through your situation, you are far, far from him. And your lifestyle doesn't resemble that of a follower of Jesus, but just someone who is a Sunday, Sunday person who comes along. And you've let him down badly. Maybe in the process of your Christian walk, there's some sin that's got in the way, is in the way right now. It's secret and it's dark and no one else knows, but it is spoiling your relationship with God, and you've, you're just feeling that you've let him down so badly. And maybe it's not a secret sin. Perhaps it's there in the open, and you just feel embarrassed. Maybe that's why you're online. You're too embarrassed to come to the building because this sin and this mess is around you. we move from the question of saying who are you to the statement of Christ follow me verse 18 now so verse 19 I've already said I don't think that the number of the fishes has any particular special meaning but the gospel of John there are numbers in there And a lot of these numbers do have a meaning. And you may have heard me emphasize this as I've been going through, and I hope that you have, and it's been what I've wanted to do. But I've kept saying the third time. There's a three that keeps up coming here. And there's a significance that this is the third time that Peter has seen the risen Jesus. And there's a significance, I believe, that we're told that it was a charcoal fire. You don't have to flick back many pages 
to find another charcoal fire. A charcoal fire in the courtyard of the high priest. And around that charcoal fire are those that are condemning Jesus and there is Peter. And Peter is challenged and they say to Peter, are you one of his disciples or aren't you one of his disciples or surely you are one of his disciples and what does he do? By that charcoal fire, he denies the Lord Jesus Christ three times. Sometimes when I'm in my car, we go past the big chamber, the big roundabout over there, and they've just cut the grass. Now, if you're not from the UK, this won't mean anything to you. But that smell of fresh cut grass takes me back to my childhood, playing without any care on a green field in England. It's just that smell. Smells do that, yes? I think the smell of that charcoal fire would have haunted Peter. The smell of denial. And Jesus asked Peter the same question, the same type of question, three times. Yes, there are slight differences. It comes out the first time, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And then Simon, son of John, do you love me? And the third time was the same as the second, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter responds the first two times in the same way. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the third time, Peter is feeling upset. Peter is feeling uncomfortable. And Peter responds differently. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Who told Peter that he's going to deny him three times before the cockerel crowed? Jesus, who knows everything. Jesus, who knows everything. And, and Peter has been brought and he's been humbled and he's been challenged and he's going through this situation. Now, some of the commentators, some of the theologians read quite a lot into the, the different words that are used for love here. But I'm not convinced by that argument. I'm more convinced by the fact that those words are interchangeable. And so we're not going to make an emphasis of that at all. The emphasis, really, in this story, is the three. Jesus asks Peter the same question three times. Because Peter denied Christ. Christ. 
three times. And friends, this reminds us that although there is forgiveness and there is restoration, restoration can be painful. I don't think this was a comfortable, pleasant moment for Peter. And in some ways, we look at this time and and we almost sort of put a little sort of fuzzy, warm sort of feel to it and think of this as being Peter's restoration. And it is. But I think it cut like a knife. It hurt. And, and, And why did it hurt? Because there is consequence to sin, friends. Of course, through the Lord Jesus Christ, there is restoration, there is reconciliation, there is forgiveness, there is grace. But sin is sin, and sin messes up. And Peter's denial had a price. And the price was at that barbecue around that fire, in front of his friends. He was reminded that he denied Christ. None of us like to be reminded of our sins, do we? None of us want our sins to be open to the public. But sin needs to be dealt with. And if there's sin in your heart or in your life, and that's where the darkness is, and that's marring your relationship with God, and that's where the problems of your life are coming from, that sin needs to come out to the open. It needs to be confessed to God the Father. And it is painful because there are consequences to sin. But at the same time, there's some striking things in regard to this. And what really is striking is Peter is learning from his failure. You see, this is what God does. This is the the grace of our Heavenly Father that even when we mess up, God can use our messings up, which are our responsibility and our sin, and not God's doing. But God can take that mess and he can bring something from it. And he was doing that with Peter. It was painful, but he was doing it with Peter. You see, can you imagine the old Peter being asked that first question? Simon, son of of John, do you love me more than these? We can imagine how he'd answered that question a few months ago, can't we? Peter's chest would have puffed out. He'd have got a bit taller. And he said, of course I love you more than those. Because that's what Peter was like. But Peter was like that. And Peter's failing is being used by God to change him. And and, and as he's being changed, he is answering in a different way. And the pride that Peter had... And that attitude of arrogance that Peter had, God is using that denial. He's using that sin. And he's dealing with Peter, and Peter is learning from 
his failure. And friends, exactly the same can happen to us. Your failures, your mess-ups, your sin, and it is yours, and it has consequences, but it can be the very thing that God uses to make you a little bit more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the grace and the love and the power of our Savior. You see, what we see is something very special. What's special is, despite Peter's failing, despite Peter's open denial, despite Peter saying, I would never deny you, I will die with you, and Jesus saying, no, that's not how it's going to happen, and then exactly what Jesus said did happen. And and the denial did happen. You see, Jesus isn't like an employer. It's interesting, there's different attitudes of employers around the world. I I heard of a a guy who was trading uh, stocks and shares in a big uh, office in New York. And he was, the, the big boss of New York was talking to the big boss of the UK and the big boss of the UK was saying about a problem he'd had in the office. One of his uh, young men had, had, had messed up a trade and, and lost the company to the tune, I think it was around about five million pounds, yeah? Five million pounds in a few moments was wiped off the value of this guy's portfolio he's dealing with. And the American boss man said, well, did you sack him? Did you fire him? And the English boss turned around and said, fire him? It cost us five million to teach him that lesson. He's not going to forget it. And then this is the idea, this is what God does in our lives. Peter didn't get fired. Peter wasn't thrown out. He's living with the consequences of it, but God was using it, and God was using it, and God recommissioned him. And so with each of those questions, when, when, when Peter responded with, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus came back and said, feed my sheep. Yes, Jesus, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. And then lastly, in verse 19, Peter is told to follow him. You see, despite Peter's failing, he's recommissioned. He's recommissioned. He's brought back online. He's given that task. The task before was said in the language of fishing, wasn't it? Become a fisher of man. And now his task has been outlined here and said, look, feed my lambs. The new ones, feed them. Tend my sheep. 
Look after my sheep. Feed my sheep. And John, when he started, so when Peter started, he started as a fisherman that became a fisher of man. And then as he's going through his experience with Jesus, he heard Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And realizing that we are his sheep. And here is John, here is Peter being given the responsibility of an under shepherd. Isn't this amazing? It wasn't though through his failure he got fired. It wasn't through his failure that he got demoted. God used his failure to teach him and recommission him with this job. And also what we see here with this recommissioning is something that we were trying to say to the children earlier. John was saying, you know that I love you. And Jesus effectively was saying, show me that you love me. And how was Peter to show that love? By feeding the lambs. How was Peter to show that love? By tending the sheep. How was Peter to show that love? By feeding the sheep. How was Peter to show that love? By following Jesus. And if we just say to God, I love you, and we're not following, we're not being obedient, then we have to ask ourselves the question, are we truly loving him? Because true love will take us to obedience. Obeying what he tells us to do, and in particular, to follow him. There's something stunning here as well. And that's despite Peter denying Christ, Peter is told that he'll be faithful to death. And why is this stunning? Well, if you go back to before Peter denied Christ... If you go right back to where he says, I will follow you and I will die with you. What's he told then? No, you won't. You'll deny me three times. But here in his recommissioning, Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Peter didn't die with Christ on the cross. But Peter took up his cross and bore it. And Peter faithfully died as a martyr, glorifying God. And that came out of God restoring him after denying him. It's not empty words from a proud Peter saying, I will follow you. This is words from the Lord Jesus Christ saying, you are going to follow me. You're going to follow me right to the end. 
and in following me right to the end, it's going to get messy, but you will glorify God. What a recommissioning. You see, when God works in a person, the change is absolutely real. And it was there with Peter. And and we need to, to, to bring this to ourselves and Maybe there's that habitual sinning in your life that is just not going away. And that dark secret in your life that is just too big for you. Or maybe your life and your lifestyle is that of a denial of Christ. And you come here Sunday by Sunday and you look the part and you go out and your week is far from him. Or maybe you are growing cold in your Christian walk. And what do we learn from this? We learn that when we mess up, and and maybe that's where you are now, but when we mess up, when there is failure, God's grace can enable us to learn from that. God's grace can recommission us from that. And God's grace can enable you to be faithful to the end. And so maybe because of your situation in the darkness you are in, you are tempted to feel that it is all too late and too lost and too wrong. And what we learn from this passage is, no, it's not. The risen Christ has delivered us from sin. The risen Christ has power over sin and death and the devil. And if you're trying to sort your problem out yourselves, you're like the fishermen trying to get comfort out of their fishing. But when we see the risen Savior, when we go to the resurrected Christ, when we come out of our own personal darkness and into his marvelous light, then in his grace, you and I can be restored. And you and I can be recommissioned. And you and I can look forward through the eye of faith of doing something and being something that will bring glory to God, our Father and Savior. We're not all called to do the work that Peter was called to do. But we are all called to follow Jesus. And the question is, are you following Jesus? But even after Peter was was charged to follow Jesus, he becomes concerned with what's going to happen to John. And and, uh, when Peter saw him, that's John, in verse 21, he then said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? We need to take really careful note of this, friends. Really careful note of the answer that Jesus gave to Peter because it's a very, very real lesson. Jesus turned around to Peter in verse 22 and said, if it's my will that he remains until I come, then what's that to you? What's that to you? Verse 22. I want to paraphrase this. Yeah? Jesus just turned around to Peter and said, mind your own business. 
Why? Because Peter had a job to do following Jesus. And you, and you see, friends, so much time is lost and wasted by watching what others are doing and commenting on what others are doing. And it's got worse in this day and age of the internet and vlogging and blogging and tweeting. And, and there's people out there blogging and vlogging and tweeting of all the mistakes that other people are making. And what we should be doing is looking at ourselves and asking the question, are we following? Follow Jesus. And maybe right now you're thinking, I hope this person or that person is listening. Because this sermon is what they need to hear. Or maybe you know someone who needs to be restored and, and, and you're wanting them. Or, or maybe you're jealous of someone who seems to be growing spiritually faster than you. Or maybe someone else in the church is getting the opportunities to serve that you think that you should have. And what we've been told now is, mind your own business. Mind your own business and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. That's what the, the, the final words here of, of, of Jesus to Peter are. Follow me. And then he comes back and says, but if that's not my will, that he remain until I come, what's that to you? What's it to you? Mind your own business. Follow Jesus. And why should Peter follow Jesus? Why did John follow Jesus? It's all summarized beautifully in the last two verses. John tells us that what he is telling us is true. And John tells us that there is so much more that he could have told us. In John 10, 11, Jesus told the disciples that he is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the truth. And the question we have to ask ourselves, the question you have to ask yourself, is are you following the Good Shepherd? Because it's the Good Shepherd that we need because he laid down his life for a sheep. And as we've seen here, he's risen. And because this shepherd, this Good Shepherd, laid down his life for a sheep, we can be restored. We can be recommissioned. And he will enable us to remain faithful to the end. And God will take all the glory. Amen. I just want to give you a, a moment to, to think over yourselves and pray over yourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what that means to you in your situation. Uh, and then I will pray and we'll sing uh, our closing hymn together in a moment.